Hallelujah. Well, again, open your Bibles up to Hebrews chapter 13. We'll read our text that we're just dealing on and studying this in the everlasting covenant and understanding how God works in our life. If we don't understand covenant, you really cannot understand the Bible. You can teach all the topics of the Bible and that, and that's good. And I like doing topical teaching, everything. But covenant is what the Bible is. God is a God of covenant. And as we've studied, He made an everlasting covenant in Himself, with Himself, before creation. In Hebrews 13 and verse 20 says, Now may the God of peace, who brought up our Lord Jesus Christ from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work, to do His will, working in you what is well-pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Father, I thank You tonight as we open Your Word. We thank You that You are here by Your Spirit. Holy Spirit, we thank You. You are the teacher in our lives. You are the one who takes the things of Christ and reveals them to us. You cause us to walk in truth. You cause us to see with clear eyes, to hear with open ears, and to receive with open heart. So we thank you that you will do your work in us tonight. In Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. Uh, we're going to finish the lesson that we were in last week. And uh, so if it looks familiar, it's because we're uh, just tying up on that. But we began last week just talking about the area that we need to to uh, hold on to some basic in our understanding of how God works in the earth in time. And that's so important. In fact, I was having a conversation when we look at everything, uh, and if you read this book, the back of your Bible has an ending to it. And the ending is the end of time as we know it. We're coming to a place of the end of time. And when you study... Uh, in time events, or you study eschatology, the, uh, the, the study of things to come, and, and Bible prophecy, everything points to an end. And there are things that are happening, and when you hear about the last days, there's a lot of teaching about the last days, and then as you see more and more of these things happening, then it lets us know that we're getting closer to the end of time. And uh, so then how ought we to live uh, if that's the case. Now let me ask you this. What, what is the one thing that God is concerned about in the earth? There's lots of things we'd like Him to be concerned about. But just souls is it. Because man was created for fellowship with God. And time actually began with the fall. Adam and Eve, as we shared with you last week, they were actually birthed or created in eternity with God. They, they were in the garden in a perfect place. There was no time until the fall. God said, the day that you eat thereof, you shall surely die. And so you'll be taken outside of my presence. And outside there, there was, and time was set in play. And time only came into existence in order for redemption to be complete. So man wouldn't be left in time, but we would redeem, could be redeemed out of time back into that eternity with God. Amen? And so Jesus came, and so our hope is in eternal life, not time life. Amen? We're not just trying to do it better. And man today, and you hear me say it all the time, but we're so obsessed 
And we give so much effort and spend so much money on getting the most out of our time with very little. Look at our society, all the beauty aids, all the health aids, all the this aids and that aids we have, trying to have just a little more time. Amen? But we should be thinking more about eternity. How many would agree? So if we have eternity in mind, then regardless of what happens here, we know that we have that hope. That's why Peter said that we're able to give people an answer for the hope that we carry. And so we carry the hope of heaven or life with God for all eternity in our hearts. Amen? And so it's good to understand how God worked in time. And as I said last week, and then we're going to jump inside on this, God's Word is uh, (coughs) eternity's entrance into time. And so we just have to keep that. God is an eternal God. He's not in time. God doesn't, he can't, you can't put eternity into time. So God basically exists outside of time, but he has a way of interjecting himself into time. And so in the everlasting covenant, when he did that, he established some things before time began. He, he made a way, an entrance in. And his word is his declaration of how he will work in time with man. Are you with me? And so if I want to see God show up in my life, this is the way He comes into time, through His Word. He does His Word in time. So if I want, if I want an answer to my prayer, if I want things down, then I have to know what the Word says. Because God cannot violate His Word. He can't come in in a way that's contrary to His Word. Would you agree? And so with that. And so, but then again, man's heart is his dwelling place in time. And that always just blows my mind. The God who can't be contained in time can live in his fullness inside of us. So he made it, man was created to be filled with the life of God. And, and something in the way we're formed, we can contain God. Time can't contain him, but we can. The, the full, and of his fullness we have received. First John 1 John 1.16 says, that is so awesome. And we are filled with the fullness of God. We're filled with the fullness of his spirit. Amen? And, and in such a way that it not just fills us, but it, his life flows out of it. That is such an amazing thought to us. And, and sometimes we get so caught up in other things. Sometimes we just stop and, and, and just meditate on the basic. It can be very encouraging. Amen? So we hold on to that. So the Holy Spirit, he can manifest himself outside of time. He can do things here and there. In the Old Testament, he came upon people from time to time. But now he lives in, we're the only place that he can live in time. Look inside your outline. And we covered all this and and went through and uh, dealt with, you know, why God created us out of love that God, uh, and we're going to deal a little bit more with that tonight on the... uh, the isness of God. Okay? And, and that's hard for us to understand the isness of God, that God is. And uh, so w- when it comes to that, by that, the Bible says that God is love. He doesn't have love, He is love. And so love, as we shared last week, love has to give itself away. Love can, love can only be expressed in giving, not in receiving. Love is not expressed in receiving, it is expressed in giving. And so God, who is love, 
created someone to be the object of his love that he could give himself to, but someone who then, in response to him giving himself to him, would have the ability to choose to give themselves back in love to God. And so God creates man with a will and the ability to choose. And so God created man, and the purpose of creating him is that God wanted family. That's why we're called. The Bible says we are the family of God. We are the children of God. And so his heart is there, and and we kind of ended up here last week in this area, is that in that, that's what drives us. Men and women, as we reach a certain age, we grow up in maturity, we begin to desire companionship and fellowship, and we want family. We want a home. We want to, that, that, that experience that, that is in us that comes from God, being made in His image. So I want you to skip down, and we kind of left off here on point number D. The basic definition of creation is this. Creation is the unnecessary actions inside of your outline, the middle of the page. Creation is the unnecessary action of God's omnipotence, motivated by infinite, overflowing, superabundant love that desires to share himself with a created being capable of fellowshipping with him, or in other words, God desired family, okay? This same need for the expression of love is within us. It drives us to find or seek a mate, a life and love companion. That's what we look for. Even in failure, we, we want to try again. Amen? And so with all that, there's something that drives that's in us. So uh, the creation of family, the creation of family does this, is it starts a bloodline. God started a bloodline with man, His creation. And so, you and I, we are saved and connected by virtue of the blood. All of humanity shares a common thread of spiritual DNA that connects them to and proves that they are the children of God. Or that He, God, is a legal father and carries a responsibility for our lives on every level. Now, let let me just... In the beginning, when God created man, He created him in a place of perfection. It is good. Everything was good. When God says it's good, it means it's complete. doesn't need to have anything else added to it. For God, okay, it's perfect. It's right. It's good. It's not missing anything. Okay, so it is, it's complete. So man was created perfect, not needing anything. And uh, so then out of that man, all of creation was to come forth. They were to be fruitful and they were to multiply and replenish the earth was what God declared over them. Amen? And so we know, so as we know, as the Bible teaches, that all of humanity came forth from the seed of Adam and Eve. But then Adam and Eve in that garden, they passed down the bloodline of transgression. Adam's blood became tainted. We're going to see in a moment that it's interesting for Jesus to come into the earth. The seed of man carries the seed of the transgression. Okay? 
It's not Eve's fault. It was Adam's transgression. And so if you understand how God works in there, it doesn't fit into our culture. It causes all kinds of rebellion. But God established this. And so, but what I'm trying to get you to see is that when, when you take this out, when you take the seed and the fallen nature and it disseminates out through all of humanity, all of humanity has its tie back to the original creation of perfection. And that original creation of perfection is connected to the DNA of God. And so God carries a responsibility and an accountability for all of His children, all of humanity on the whole earth. That's why the commission was, was to go into all the world and preach the gospel. God wasn't, con- wasn't content just saving a chosen people, but that all people... That's why you read in the prophets that all nations and and the Gentiles and all people of every tongue and every kindred and every tribe will be redeemed. Amen? And so we see that. So God takes ownership and responsibility for all of his creation. Are you doing all right? And so we see that. That bloodline is there. But on our part, that's why we can plead the blood. And we understand this. People go, I'm pleading the blood. Why do we plead? People go, what do you mean, plead the blood? That means, wait a minute, I'm your child. That's right. I, I'm, you know, if you did the DNA test, I'm a child of God. Amen. Amen. And so that means that you have accountability for me. That's why they find out, you know, when our children are minors and they act a certain way, they don't make the child pay, they make the parents pay. You carry responsibility for your children. When they become an adult, okay, then they assume that role of responsibility. And then when they have children, now they're responsible for their children. But that that, that same principle applies to us with God. We are His children, and He has accepted full accountability for our life. Doing all right? Okay, so the gospel is God's love letter to his children that are lost in the world of sin to come home. For the Father loves them and is waiting for them to return. How many would agree? Okay. See, now covenant is the highest form of expression in a love relationship. If you really love somebody, David loved, I mean, Jonathan loved David. And out of his love, he said, let's make a covenant together. And in that covenant, he pledged his life to him. And not just to him. He says, I'm pledging my life to you and to your children and to your children. That as long as either one of us have seed in the earth. So for generation after generation after generation, this is a commitment that will be handed down to our children. We will tell it to our children. You're in a covenant relationship with the family of David and then with the house of Saul. And so we're united together. Amen? And so the greatest commitment you can make as an act of love is the act of expression of covenant. Amen? And so what does God do? God made a covenant and established His bloodline with us. And then He purposed to permit sin to enter in creation. Sounds kind of awkward. But, see, for mankind to have the capacity to be able to respond to His love, with love and obedience to His command, they must have a free will. Amen. Everybody has a free will. That's why the gospel is an amazing thing. 
I'm just called to preach. The ministry preaches, proclaims, declares. And then you choose what to do with it. Well, I agree with that. I don't agree with that. I don't believe that. Oh, do we? Hey, it doesn't matter to me. It's no sweat off of my brow. You will live by the fruit of your own choices. And so the, the gospel is to be declared. God's word is to be declared. Amen. And so you plead. It's just like with our children. You're going you're gonna, to you're gonna raise your children. You're going to speak to your children. You're going to teach them everything. But there comes a day when they make their own choice. You can't make the choice for them. They make them, you want them to choose wisely, but you can't make them choose. You can speak to them, you can, you, you can counsel them, you can teach them, you can train them, do everything you can, but bottom line, they will make their own choice, and then they will live by that. And if you're a wise parent, you won't bail them out of every bad choice. You'll make, you'll hopefully, you'll let them reap some of their own harvest so they learn not to continually be stupid. God allows us to reap the harvest of our choice. That's why Galatians 6, 7, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. Amen? And so with that, God allows us to walk through the, the consequences of our choices. He graces us and strengthens us to do it, but He doesn't Bail us out. Are you doing all right? So we dealt with a little bit of that last week. And so if you missed it, you could get that. We'll talk about that too. Some of that in the area of forgiveness. Also in establishing a bloodline there. (coughs) And that when, uh, what we dealt with last week is that when your children grow up and they get married, that's a new bloodline. That's a new line of authority. So as parents, that's a new line of authority. I don't have authority in that house. That's my son's house. He's the authority in that house. If they ask me, and that's when my kids ask me, say, Dad, what do you think? I said, I don't think anything. I'm in spectator mode. I did my job. You're, you're, this is your line of authority. If you want advice, I'll give you advice. But you're the authority over that house, not me. And today, parents like to go in and try to still be the authority and still raise their kids. And uh, so I encourage you to go home, mind your own business. <laughs> Amen. Let them learn. Amen. Go home and have a bowl of ice cream. Amen. So, man had to have this free will, or God gave man a choice. And sometimes, we see, see, we're trying to control the outcome of everything. We want to control the outcome with our children. God doesn't do that. He gives us free choice. And we choose. Okay? And, see, love cannot be programmed into a person nor can it be imposed. Love must be a free choice of the heart. I said it a moment ago. God who is love wanted someone to give His love to. So He created us like Himself in His image and with the ability so that we, as people who can experience love, would then want to choose to give our love back to Him. Are you with me? Okay, but it has to be our choice. It has to be a choice to give that love. You can't make somebody love you. You watch teenagers when they run around in puppy love, when they're trying to make somebody like them, the boy trying to make the girl like them, the girl trying to make the boy like them, and then they get what they wanted, and then they wish they hadn't tried to make them do that. Amen. <laughs> Amen. So, watch this. In order to fulfill His purpose of love, 
He who is the only free will must freely will to introduce another free will into existence. There was no free will before outside of God. So God says, I am the only free will, and in order for this to work, I have to introduce another free will, full well knowing that if I do, they could choose to reject me. Amen? And so what that means is, is that we came into existence by choice. God chose in Himself to make us. And we return by choice. Are you with me? Everybody returned by choice. It doesn't happen any other way. Man must be created with a will that is completely free to choose to respond, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> to God's love with loving obedience or to choose to divorce himself from God and demand independence. And that's what we're seeing in our culture today. We're seeing a nation that's choosing to divorce itself from God. And we're watching it go down the slope of destruction. But, but we're choosing that. And then people are standing by, and, and, we're, and we're allowing that to happen. And, 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 and there's some onus upon us, some responsibility upon us, that, that we have to be a voice from time to time. Yeah. Amen? And we have to speak up. And, and we have, we're supposed to be salt and light in this area. But, but here you have man choosing to divorce himself from God and demand independence, whether it's personally or whether it is corporately as a nation. But see, actually, it's impossible for the creature to be independent of the Creator. Amen? It's just, I want my own way. I tell my kids, that's fine. Okay? Just strip off all your clothes. Amen. And head out the door. Because naked thou came in and naked thou's going out. Amen? Go, go, go. Make it on your own. Go ahead. You can be free. Go ahead. Take off. Hallelujah. Da, 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 da. It's amazing. Amazing how they can have a change of heart. Amen. When they stop and think, wait a minute, I don't know if I'm ready to be independent on myself or not. Amen. I need to be connected to the Creator. Hallelujah. So think about it. See, as God's creation, we're dependent on the Creator for the breath with which to announce our own rebellion. Come on, we speak out. We wouldn't even have breath if He hadn't given it to us. Amen? So now, watch this. Man's illusion of independence is in seeking meaning in himself. That's what we have. We have science, we have creation, we have all this stuff. Man's trying to find himself by himself in himself. And that. Becoming a self for himself, something opposite of God's choice. And recreating himself into something outside of God's original intention. Let me just pause here, and I want to interject this, is, and, and I said it earlier about God's isness. Okay? So God is what God is. Love. What else? Huh? Hey, God's peace. All right. What else? Okay. He's peace. I mean, he's joy, faithful, 
Vad är Okay, who who said righteous? Okay. Okay, he's righteous. Okay. Huh? Okay, yeah, he is. He, purity. Okay. Okay. Well, if you, I, I am, it would be I is. Okay, depending upon what part of the country you're from. <laughs> and, uh, okay, now what? So, are these things that he has or are these things that he is? Okay, which means he's completely that. He's not lacking anything, and nothing can be added. Nothing can be added to his love, to his peace, to his joy, to his faithfulness, to his righteousness, to his purity. He's not. There's no lack in any of that. If there's any lack, if there's any comparison, God is not one who is compared to anyone else. Okay, there's no comparisons in God. And so, if we don't understand that, now we have a problem with that because these are what are called. That's what's called an absolute. Okay. God is absolutely love, peace, joy. The other thing he is, what about truth? Okay. How many know we live in a world that doesn't want absolute truth? Okay. So the way to define that and the best way to do it, let's just deal with righteousness right now. Because this kind of ties into this whole thing of what we're looking at in the area and in understanding covenant. And if you don't understand what covenant is, part of that in the provision of covenant is that all that the person is, you pledge to someone else. All that you are, you give to someone. Even in our marriage vows, all that I am and ever shall be, I give to you. Okay, and that's what we do in covenant. And so God has already declared all that I am, I give to you, and I give it to you in a covenant, in an everlasting covenant. And we keep trying to get peace of this, but when I understand covenant, I understand that I have it in completeness. And the clarity of understanding and understanding how God worked and how what He's pledged to us in covenant and in His Son and us being in Christ, then we just stop and we sit back and we begin thanking God and praising God for what is ours. We move out of the beggar mode and into covenant mode with God. Are you with me? Okay. So let me put you like this. And so with this, how many know that Jesus says that, that the will of God is to be done on earth... As in heaven, okay? So the will of God is to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now what's the measure? Let's just take, who would give me a definition of righteousness? You want to give me a definition of righteousness? Okay. 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 True. <laughs> okay. Um, 
Write this down in your note. Just write the word straightness. Straightness. Okay. Um, straightness as in conforming to a standard. Okay. So God, the righteousness of God, they shall be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord. Okay? I need to tilt this just a little bit. Okay, now. If I want to transfer this mark down to the floor, then I need, I want to make sure that mark ends up exactly in an exact reference point down here. Okay? I want this wheel to be done down there, all right? It's conformity to a standard, okay? And that's why the Bible says a plumb line is the greatest example of that. And so the Word of God is like a plumb line. It is a standard. And so God, righteousness is this. Conformity to a standard, or it's something as it should be. It's something, it is what it is supposed to be. You have been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You have been born again, and you have been made again man as he should be. Right standing with God, yes. But right standing with is the way it should be. No deformity, nothing missing, but at original intent. So I'm interjecting this because when man moves away from God, he moves away from being conformed to as it should be. Okay? And so redemption is bringing things back into righteousness into conformity to God's standard that His will in heaven would be done exactly on earth as it is in heaven. Okay? So the standard of righteousness is bringing everything back as, as it should be. If you are a tree of righteousness, you are a tree as it was intended to be. Okay, a, a righteous oak tree. Okay, it is, a, is an oak tree that is exactly as it was intended to be as an oak tree. All right, it doesn't, doesn't have variation, there's anything else. We didn't deviate it, we didn't, you know, change it in any way. And so it brings that place of being on earth as it is in heaven. And so God declares this to us 
And so because He is an absolute and because He is righteous, then that is now the standard. And that is what we're called to live by. And we're not called to... And you've heard me say it. The Word of God is a plumb line. It is not a pendulum. Okay? Plumb lines don't work swinging back and forth. A plumb line, it makes it true. And if I begin to deviate this then what I build upon, if I want this to go, if I get down there, and if I mark from there to there, then I know that is perfectly straight. Anything I build off here, if I go off here, if I had a level and I get a mark there, and then I mark out this way, I know that I'm going to have a perfect 90 degrees. Okay, I'm going to have a perfect right angle. Everything from there is going to be straight. It'll be line upon line, precept upon precept. Okay, it won't be off. It, it won't. It, it won't miss the mark. I won't get up higher and then be out of. I, I shared it in Bible school. So if you have a four foot level, and you mark that and say, "Well, you know, I'm only off a quarter of an inch in four feet." Okay, in four feet. Okay, well then in eight feet, that's a half an inch. Okay, in 16 feet, that's a whole inch. Okay, and so then if you start going up just a little in 32 feet, you know, it just starts, okay, wait a minute, things are compounding here. And so what looked like just a little bit, and so we live in a society, well, I, I know this is your truth. No, this isn't my truth, this is God's truth. And God is an absolute. So people say, well, you have your truth, and I have my truth. Okay, well, it doesn't work that way. Because there's only, there, there can't be two truths. There, there, you just can't. There's no such thing as multiple truths. Okay, there's just one. So that's why Jesus said, look, at Jesus comes as, as in his isness and says, I am the way, the truth, okay, and the light. So God is light, okay, and in him is what? No darkness at all. None at all. So it's an, they're, they're absolutes. All right? And so then, but if I begin to understand that, and I begin to look at the attributes of God and the character of God, and I see that God is absolutely all that He has declared, then I can have great faith when you look at Abraham. Michael said Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him as right, because God made covenant with Abraham. So everything God declared him to be, Abraham believed that it was absolutely true and he was able in covenant to stand on that and to believe God and to receive the promise and that's what I'm trying to get across to you that when you become convinced in the absoluteness of God in who he is and in his character and when he declared my will will be done on earth as it is in heaven, it will get from here to here. This is my declared will. And it is straight. It is true. This is the standard. And if you will agree with it, you can walk in it. And so what I do is I want my faith to be connected to the plumb line of righteousness. Amen. I want to conform to that standard. Are you with me? Not, not try to shift it, not, not try to, well, I know it's there, but, you know, I move over here, or a little bit over here, or that. No, I want it right there. Amen? Okay. But our problem is, is that we live in a society 
that doesn't believe in absolutes. Everything is redefined. Truth is being... They had an article this morning. I heard it on Fox News, played it this morning, that they had our military come out and in the Navy, the Navy guys are coming out that we're no longer, you can no longer call a person a seaman. We're taking man out of our, no longer seaman first class. Okay, because why? Because we're no longer a nation and a people of absolutes. Now we're a people of redefined identities. Are you with me? And so it's just, but that's where we live. Now, hold on to this because with, okay, that, that's the extreme, but here's the other side. When you live inundated by that, and we live in that society, and that's around us all the time, some of that has a tendency to get on the inside of us so that it begins to have a, in, in a way an unconscious effect upon us that, that it takes a conscious intent on our part to move back and to have our life centered on the absolute truth of God's Word and not to deviate it. Instead of trying, because most of the time we're constantly trying to get God just to bend a little. I know the Bible says that, but I know this. And so we're constantly trying to kind of realize, you know, get things. Are doing all right <laughs> to line up with that, and it doesn't do that because you know I can set that moving, but when that gets done moving, you know where it's going to end up right back at truth. It's going to quit, it's going to end up right back at God's will, it's not going to change. But see, we live, and to one degree, President Obama was correct we're no longer a Christian nation, we're an atheistic, humanistic nation. Because a Christian nation is a nation of absolutes, absolute truth. Okay, even our Constitution and, and, and our Bill of Rights was based on some absolute truths. Okay, we, we got all men are what? Created equal, okay, and, and, are, and are endowed with certain inalienable rights. They're endowed with that, they're given that. Okay, those are declarations based on absolute truth. Amen. But today we don't have that, and so everything is being redefined. And uh, God just has the audacity <clears throat> to say, "I'm the right one. I'm the one that's right." And that. And so then we, in a society, this is what's coming down to. And even when I'm praying over this election, depend upon what happens and who gets elected, we could very easily see a lot of our rights be eroded away. We could literally come down to say, to see where that just our freedom of worship and things being done. And so then it's going to come down to us on understanding how am I going to live? What am I going to do? Am I going to be back up? Am I going to be intimidated? Or am I going to be willing to endure maybe persecution for... Blessed are you when you are persecuted for... For what? righteousness sake for so persecuted they the prophets who were before you so persecution for living to the standard of God being conformed to that standard. he said they will persecute you for righteousness sake 
Well, I, I, I can't move off of that because I'm in a covenant with righteousness, of righteousness with God. And I need, I, I, I'm desirous of his love. I want his peace. I want to be filled with his joy. I want to see his faithfulness and his promises coming to pass in my life. I, I, I want to have his purity over me. I, I want to be anchored in his truth. Amen. So I can't compromise in the area of righteousness and the conformity to the standard. It's an absolute. Are you with me? Yep. Okay, so I shared that with him because here's where it says that man, when he tries to recreate himself, he moves outside of God's original intent in creation. Okay, and so we're no longer straight, we're bent. Okay, the potential in creating a person with the free will is the sin that they may choose and the death that would then be loose in creation. See, life is only in the Creator, not outside of Him. And so the bloodline connection is this sin entered the bloodline, the very life of man with a choice to be independent. And so it would take sinless blood to redeem man. That's why the Bible is a book of blood. There's no remission of sin without the shedding of blood. Amen? And so, this is where we just have this challenge again. Renewing our minds takes some effort on our part. It's like tonight, this teaching, every Christian needs to sit and have teaching on this. I had a gentleman tell me that I was never discipled. I want to say, do you go to every service? Years ago, I heard uh, uh, Willie George said this. He said, I never counsel anybody unless they'll come to every service for six weeks straight. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, every service with their Bible and a notepad. If they'll come to every service for six weeks straight, then we'll set a counseling appointment. He says the majority of the time people call up and say, uh, I, I don't need it. I, I got my answer in service. Because the only thing you have to give to people is the word. And so, in a steady diet of the Word, you're going to get the answers that you need for life, okay? Depending upon what topic, still, things are going to come up. The answers are there, but they're in the Word of God, amen? Yep. And so, we need that. But it takes the effort of renewing our mind. That takes some effort. So, we must learn of God, learn of God for who He is, not for what we desire Him to be. I want you to get that. When you talk to most people, you'll hear a conversation with them about God and who they desire Him to be. But not really much of an understanding of wanting to know Him for who He is. And that we're, this is what, we're invited into all that He is. I don't think we can make Him any better. So why would I want to design a God who's perfect? I, I can't fix completeness. He already is isness. I can't make him any better than isness. Amen. He is everything in completeness. And so I just need to trust him and move into him. So watch it. Man has these two capacities. Number one is to choose. And number two is to create. God gave those. We're made in the image of God. We have the ability to choose. And we have the ability to create. We live in a world with amazing creations. How you been? I always like watching the whatever channel it is, Discovery Channel, whatever it is, or Animal Planet, and when they have the monkeys making tools. Okay. Learning how to use, take a piece of grass and go, 
and get it wet and stick it in a hole and have termites come out on it and then lick them off the end. They go, look, he made a tool. No, he licked on grass and stuck it in a, to- in a hole. Oh, they made a pry bar out of a stick. They pried something. Yeah, they're resourceful or doing whatever. But to me, a tool is that when you know how to make an oven and heat some chocolate and dip the termites in chocolate and then eat them, then you've made a tool, all right? <laughs> somewhere, somewhere along there, we've got to do better than just, you know, an implement, whatever. So they go, oh, look, they have creative ability. No, they haven't built a house yet. Amen. They don't have hospitals yet. They don't, you know, they don't. I mean, I mean, know what I'm saying. So man is the only one who has the ability to create. We have the ability to choose and this amazing capacity to create. And what he creates is in direct connection to his choice. That's what we, going back to our children, that's what we're trying to teach our children when they're growing up. Try to teach your children. Guys, if you don't choose, your choices are creating the life you're going to live. So we want you to make wiser choices. We're not against you. We just want you to understand that your choices are going to create the life that you're going to live. I have a young man that's incarcerated now that I've been in contact with. And uh, two years ago, we were just together, and I just began talking to him. He's been in, in and out since he was just a teenager, in and out of trouble and in and out of incarceration for almost his whole life and uh, over half of his life. He's in his early 30s, so since he was 13, in and out, in and out, in and out. One day in my truck, we were just talking, and I said, son, I said, don't you understand that you're just reaping the harvest of your choices? These are all seeds that you're sowing. Wow, I never heard that or thought about that. So I got a letter back from him, and he said, Pastor, you were right. I'm, I've sowed these seeds. I can see right now this is the harvest of the choices that I've made in my actions and my conduct. Now, it, it, it's sad because it's kind of a late situation in his life. But at least he's waking up and hopefully going through this. Down the road, when he gets through this next little stint that he's in, they come out, wait a minute, I think I'll just choose better. Okay, and not keep creating this life for myself. Doing all right? Yep. So, what we create is in direct connection to our choices. The power of choice has a controlling influence over creation. Need to remember that. Our power of choice has a controlling influence. If you can get people to change their choices, you can get them to change your life. Amen. Mike Murdoch said it like this. He says, you show me your daily routine and I'll show you your future. Yeah. What's your routine? What are your habits? Because those are your choices that are shaping what you do daily. You're not going to reproduce, you're not going to produce anything else. Okay. Doing all right? Okay. So, 
Man carries a responsibility for the bloodline. I, I wish it was different. This is an inter- this gets very interesting. Next week, we're going to try and get into how this ties into the incarnation of Christ and, and how God can come into in, in, in humanity. How can a holy God come in to a virgin who is still connected to the fall, but because man carries the seed? Okay? Woman receives it, but man carries the seed, and man carries the accountability, which is why fathers are accountable for their children, not mothers. Doing all right? And that that whole area in there, it's God's principle that is set there. Again, in our society, we don't like that. We want to change that. So, all right? And so we've done that. We have all these different definitions of everything. But after we get done going through our societal changes, this is still going to come back and stop at truth. Amen? Okay. So watch this. Man carries that accountability. It flows from God's divine order of authority and accountability. Adam, the first man in being head of the human race, tragically chose to rebel against God and introduce sin and death into the race. Or in other words, Adam should have said, no, we are not eating that. Okay? The Bible says that God set man in the garden and told him, don't eat it. Okay? And he should have said, no, we are not doing that. If he had, you and I would be in the garden. Amen. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> yeah, but it didn't work that way. Yeah, hallelujah. So we'll, we'll, we'll get it post-time. Amen? Get it after time. So he chose to rebel against God, introduce sin and death into the race. Through the first man, the whole race of man will be contaminated and there would be not one human being thereafter capable of saving humanity. All would follow Adam into sin and death. Blood was contaminated by sin. The bloodline would now be passed down from generation to generation. Man now carries impure blood because of the choice of his will. Now, watch it. This is why when you come back to this, no matter how we have to define this, this is the standard. And it's amazing when you understand this, that God through His redemption and in His, everything He does has to be righteous and it has to be just. All of His judgments are righteous and they are just. And so when you get outside here, there's no way because of blood, when the Bible says all of our righteousness is as filthy rags, we, we can't bring this back into this. So God has to have a way, and He ordained it. And that's why when we shared before, all of this was done before time began. God established all this and set all this before time began so that He can come into time and redeem us out of time. Look at the back of your outline. We'll finish right here. Sin must be put away by man. He must shoulder the responsibility In other words, another Adam, the last Adam, would deal with sin on our behalf. He would become the head of a new human race. Those of a new bloodline. Okay? But he would have to be without sin and then freely choose to love and obey God. Here's the thing we all have to remember. Jesus could have chosen to give in to temptation. 
He, he had to be all man. And He had to choose. The difference is, is that He came from the seed of His Father, not from the seed of Adam. So He came with uncontaminated blood. Alright? And as the second Adam created with uncontaminated blood, He chose to stay true to His bloodline. And when tempted, he chose to say no to the temptation and to stay and to walk in love with God and to stay faithful. Which is why the Bible says we must... See, now people, I hope you're getting that. Well, why do I need to be born again? Because you need to be born out of the old bloodline into the new bloodline. Amen? And when you do, this is what's so cool. Then, his righteousness is imputed to us. Okay? So we have all this is imputed to us. It's placed into our account. We have it all. We get it by virtue of being born again and born into the life of Christ. We are the recipients of all of God's isness. Everything. It is ours. Amen? And it is ours in covenant. Hallelujah. So, by faith, we're born again into the bloodline of the second Adam, Christ our Lord, and we must be found in Him, not in Adam. People are trying to stay in Adam and then try to figure out some way to negotiate with God. But it isn't going to happen. Amen? Did you get anything out of that tonight? Hallelujah. But if you can get this in Christ, all of this is ours. We're just in Him. And He is that standard. Now, I, I just want to live. And the whole thing is, He gives us everything. Amen. Yeah. People say, well, I don't have any peace. Well, just go back and conform to the standard. Because He is peace. Amen? I don't have any joy. He is joy. He is yes. joy. And if I'm in Him, He is in me. His joy is in me. His peace is in me. Amen? And we're going back. We're just making choices and we're doing things outside of Him. Just come back to that place of rest in Him. Father, I thank You tonight for Your people. Lord, I pray Your blessing. Lord, I pray that understanding would come to each and every one. That we would know that we know that we know that we have been made the righteousness of God. God, that You have brought us back, conformed us to the standard what You intended us to be. Man, your creation, recreated, made anew, born brand new in you. Thank you, Lord, for your love and your redeeming grace. Thank you for the bloodline that we've been made a part of. We give you praise and glory tonight. In Jesus' name.